We're going to do something fun this morning because there is a wide array of people here. And, uh, and so we're going to get started by doing that. Let's see if this works. Hey, it does. Uh, if you are in elementary school or junior high or middle school or high school, somewhere in that age bracket, raise your hand. Yeah, there's a lot of you in here. Man, 9 a.m., that means you got out of bed at like early. We're going to do something. I need six or seven volunteers. All right, there's, a, there's an eager hand right there. Yep, yep, yep. All right, what else we got? Who else? Come on, show a hand. Oh, yep, come on up. You as well. All right, line up across the front here. And uh, let's start youngest to oldest. And I bet you all can figure that out much more easily than I can. There you go. Yep, you're good. Good. And what do we got? One, two, three, four, five, six. One more. One more. Yes, young lady. Young guy. Sorry. I looked at her and then I saw him. Good job. All right, here's what we're going to do. How many of you have ever played the game known as telephone? Ah, yes, several of you. All right, here's what we're going to do. I have a sentence that I am going to whisper to this young man. What's your name? Wallen. Wallen. Rowan. Rowan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a grandfather. I'm going to use that as an excuse. (laughs) Sorry, Rowan. All right. I'm going to whisper into Rowan's ear. Keith is going to kill my mic when I do so, so that everybody doesn't know. But I'm going to whisper in his ear a sentence. Now, here's what you have to do. Now, listen close. When I whisper this sentence into your ear, you then need to take what I say to you, and you need to tell it to this young man. And then, yep, and then you need to take what you heard or what you think you heard from Rowan and say it to her, whispering in her ear, whispering, 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 till finally we get here, and you will whisper to her what you hear. We're going to go all the way down, and we're going to see what happens. Uh, You will. I will get to you. You're going to do something very special, and that is you're going to reveal to everybody what it was Rowan said, so to speak, Okay. All right, kill my mic. What? You got it, you got it. You got it. Kill my mic one more time. Wanna switch? Just as a point of reference, last time I spoke here, I handed out money. The kids are going to want that far more than this. (laughs) 
can't be repeated. You just got to go with what you remember. Go ahead, pass it on. Whatever you think you heard, just pass on. Okay, and pass it on. 1796, Tennessee became a state. Is that it? Yeah. Is that it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead and take your seats. Thank you. Thank you. Give them a hand. <clears throat> How many of us through any of our lifetimes <laughs> have played that game before? For many of us, that was back when phones had cords and were attached to walls. But it was, you begin somewhere, and by the time you end, it almost doesn't matter how many people you go through, you end up with something uh, either reasonably different or completely different than what you started with. Here's what we started with. On June 1st, 1796... Tennessee became the 16th state to enter the Union. Yes, that's very long. And some of the kids are like, how in the world would anybody remember that? The thing is, is that when we start with that, we started with something that was in my back pocket. It was in print. We started with something in print. We knew what it was. We began with that, and as we move down the line, the message deteriorates to the point where somewhere along the way, we no longer get it. We almost got it, and it goes to the next person, and the next person almost has it, but it's a little bit worse than it was when it started, and by the time you get to the end, now... We almost, this, this young group we had before us, almost had it. It was almost perfect, but it wasn't. It was just almost. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Almost. Almost. How many of you recognize that picture, that depiction? That Well, there you go. <laughs> that is a close-up of the fourth panel painted on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel by Michelangelo. It's known as the creation of Adam. If you pull back a little bit, you can see more of the fresco, of this painting, where on the right you have God in heaven reaching down, extending his hand down to Adam on earth to the left. And both are reaching to some degree or another toward one another. The interesting thing is, is that if you look at Adam's hand, if you go back in close and you look at this, there's something about this that it's as though God is reaching. It's like there's intentionality to what he is doing. There's motivation. He's, he, he is putting forth effort to get to Adam. It's as if God wants to do something 
to touch Adam's life. And Adam, on the other hand, as you look at this hand, his arm is resting on his knee. His hand is somewhat limp and his fingers not very extended. But the thing I want you to notice and the thing I want us to, to grapple with this morning a little bit is this right here. This gap where they're not touching, where there isn't connection. There's this space between God and what God's intending to do and between, between him and man and man's capacity to either reach back to God or to simply receive what God is doing. So almost, they almost touch. And it's kind of depictive of our lives. It's indicative of our lives that that's where we often find ourselves living. We find ourselves living in almost. I almost made it. I'm almost there. A few weeks ago, we traveled to Michigan on a vacation, and we took our daughter and son-in-law and grandson with us. And, uh, and there were times, uh, periodically, where we were traveling along, and Asher, our grandson, uh, would take issue with the travel arrangements. Uh, and again, I know you've all heard this before, but, you know, it's child abuse if you take any of your kids sitting here this morning and take them home and strap them in a four-point harness in a chair and tell them they can't move, that would be child abuse. In vehicles, it's safety. And so we did a 15-hour drive from here to Michigan with a one-year-old, and he did phenomenally well. But every once in a while, I would find myself saying, Asher, honey, we're almost there. We're almost there. We're almost there. And we live our lives frustrated by that reality that keeps playing in our heads. I'm almost there. I, I almost got where I wanted to get to. I've, I've almost accomplished what I hoped I would accomplish. And so we live in this world of almost. We live in this gap between God reaching to us and us somehow making connection and contact with him. The interesting thing is, is that the Bible talks about this gap. The Bible identifies for us why it is that we have that, that gap or that sense of gap in our lives. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote these words in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 11 through 14. God has made everything beautiful in its own time. He has planted eternity, listen, he has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That's how we run into almost all the time. God placed within each and every one of us here this desire, this sense of, this, this longing for, this recognition of eternity in our hearts. But he set a buffer around it. He set a barrier around it. He, he closed a door to it somewhere along the way where we can't see, we can't fathom, we can't grab hold of everything that God has done from beginning to end. His works are way beyond us. 
And so it's easy to find ourselves frustrated in life as we push up against, even when, you know, let's, let's be very transparent, even when we do our best, we will give it our all. Maybe it's an athletic event. Maybe it's a class in school. Maybe it's a project that you're working on. Maybe it's a business deal. We put our best into it. And how many of us, when, when the test is done and we scored well, when the project is over and it's complete and you gave it your all, when the, when the deal is closed and the client is there and it's firm and new, how often do we walk away and go, man, if I could have just, if only I had, that could have been better. It's because we live in almost. God has set eternity in our hearts. Solomon goes on. He said, I concluded there's nothing better than to be happy and to enjoy ourselves as long as we can. And people should eat and drink and enjoy the fruits of their labor, for these are gifts from God. If you're having difficulty, get this, if you're having difficulty enjoying the fruits of your labor, if you're having difficulty being happy and enjoying the fruits of your labor, perhaps, just perhaps, you are more focused on earning them rather than receiving them. Because they are gifts from God. Our capacity and our ability to, uh, to live excellence, to demonstrate excellence in what we do and how we do it, it's a gift from God. And so there's a certain freedom that we have in enjoying that. Solomon continues, I know that whatever God does is final. I know whatever God does is final. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. And get this, God's purpose is that people should fear him. A reverent awe of God. That's his purpose. He said eternity in our hearts, but he said it in there in such a way that we can't see it. Paul said in Corinthians that we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face then clearly, then fully. So we live in a life that is dimly lit, so to speak, and we have to walk through that. And through it all, we have God fulfilling a purpose that he desired and created long ago. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to revere and to stand in awe of him and of his sovereignty and his sovereign will. And he gives us the capacity to know that there is an eternity. I heard a pastor say one time, I'm eternal until God's through with me. That is both recognition of a reality and the sovereignty of God. At any single point in time, God could evaporate any one of us. And we would have no recourse because he is a sovereign God. He is a God of all authority. And everything that he does, Solomon says, it's final. 
But God's purpose is that we should fear him. So what's Solomon saying? Well, he's telling us that there's something about life that is within each of us that tells us every day, almost, almost. It's the gap between the hand of God and the hand of Adam. It's the gap that there's something eternal within us, but we find ourselves brushing up against that eternity like a car brushing up against a guardrail guardrail on an icy bridge. We bump up against it. We bump up against eternity. We're reminded of eternity in our lives. But we're also reminded that we're living in a world of almost. God placed within each of us that eternity, and we can't get beyond it, not in this life. Part of the challenge that we have is embracing a healthy understanding and getting a healthy grasp of how God sees us. How does God see us? When God looks at your life, what does he see? Well, for some, people believe that when God looks at their life, They see this, that he sees this. He sees me, and when he looks at my life, he sees something that looks like this. My limited life, my failed attempts, my almost living of life, and then he sees Jesus attached to my life. And Jesus compensates for all of my shortcomings, and because of what he adds to my life, God sees a complete life. So if you go from from one end of that depiction to the other, you're looking at a complete life. And there are some, and there are some Christians who when they consider their life and when they consider how God looks at them, they believe this is the accurate portrayal of it that God sees them in their inabilities, sees them in their flaws, but then Jesus makes up for that and God can see a whole life because there's me and attached to me, there's Jesus. Holding to this perspective, the fundamental belief that a person has to hold is that Jesus came to this earth to make bad people good. When you hold to this belief, what you are fundamentally believing and holding to is Jesus came here to make bad people good. This view can take a bad person and make them better because we've added Jesus to them. This person, however, also then has to wrestle with a performance mentality Because in this view, you don't have a full and complete life without you participating in it. And if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, then that life somehow diminishes and gets shorter. The end of it begins to slide in as you begin to live out your disappointing ways. When I was uh, in pastoral ministry and I served as a pastor in Upper Michigan for 18 years prior to coming down here to Nashville eight years ago. And uh, I was 15 years into serving as a pastor, and that's when God and I reached a real heart-to-heart 
level of conversation uh, that was unknown to me before. Uh, I was battling with and, and struggling with depression for several years. And finally, uh, after about three years' worth of it, uh, my elders at the church uh, at an elders' meeting said to me, David, uh, we know you've been saying that, you know, something's wrong, and uh, we now see that and recognize that. Uh, you find the help and the counseling center that you want to go to, and we will make it happen. And so they did. And so I ended up at a, a counseling center for pastors uh, in northern Indiana, and uh, it was there that my coach, counselor, therapist, whatever word you want to attach to him, uh, Denny Howard, I will never forget the man, uh, he asked me this question, and this unraveled this view in me. Because what I found out there, let me back up, he asked me this question, David, does God love you? And I said, yes. Absolutely. And he looked me in the eye and he said, no, I know you know that. I'm going to ask you again. Do you believe that God, the God of all creation, the God of all time and space, the God of the universe, do you believe that God unconditionally loves you. And in true counsel fashion, I squirmed around and I did what most people in that position do. I go, I don't know. And then he ticked me off as he did the entire week by looking me in the eye and saying, yes, I get that. But if you could know, what would your answer be? And we wrestled through that for an entire week, but it was in that week that God got a hold of me in a way that he hadn't gotten a hold of before because it was in that week that I realized I thought I had to be something in order for God to value me as someone. Now, you can sit here and easily say, 15 years in ministry? Yep. Brokenness knows no career boundaries. It just doesn't. But fortunately for me, and fortunately for us, is that there is a different view, a different perspective. In this perspective, I am hidden in Christ. When God looks at my life, he sees Jesus, period. In this perspective, I have, listen, put on Christ. In this perspective, I am clothed in Christ. Holding to this perspective, the fundamental and foundational belief is this. Jesus came here to make dead 
people live. Let that sink in. Because if you're stuck in performance, I got terrible, terrible news for you. There is no, get this, there is no level of performance that is going to cut it. There is no level of performance that you can do, that you can exercise or I can exercise in our lives that will enable God to see us as he longs to see us and as he wants to see us in Christ. We are to put on Christ. Jesus came to make dead people live. Many of you are probably familiar with the 23rd Psalm. In the fourth verse of that Psalm, we read, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. The 23rd Psalm, verse 4 If we consider this, that in this life we live, we experience both death and life, we encounter that, we're touched by it throughout our lives, and it's as though perhaps we are walking. What if this were the valley of the shadow of death? Because we're not in heaven, and we are certainly not in hell, and I don't know that we can have a heaven on earth. But I do know that we need not have a hell on earth. And so here we are almost. We're not, not quite in heaven. We're not quite in hell, but we're almost. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. If that's true, get this. If that's true, then for those of you who are in Christ... In Christ, this is as close to hell as you will ever come. For those outside of Christ, the news is a bit more disappointing because this is as close to heaven as you'll ever get. So here we sit in the middle of almost. We're neither, we are neither in heaven nor hell. We're in the shadow. And being in Christ doesn't mean that I no longer fail. It means that my failure has been paid for. It means that my sin is covered. It means I'm all, get that? I'm all redeemed. Not almost, not almost redeemed. It means Christ is sufficient. In his autobiography, American on Purpose, comedian and actor Craig Ferguson tells of his life's journey and how that journey led him to declare American citizenship. He quite literally became an American on purpose. In the preface of his book, he writes the following. One of the greatest moments in American sports history 
was provided by Bobby Thompson, the Staten Island Scot. Born in my hometown of Glasgow, Scotland in 1923, he hit the shot heard round the world that won the Giants, the National League pennant in 1951. Had Bobby stayed in Glasgow, he would have never played baseball. He would have never faced the fearsome Brooklyn Dodgers pitcher Ralph Bronca in the championship game. And he would never have learned that if you can hit the ball three times out of ten, you can make it to the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Craig goes on and says, today I watch my son in Little League games. His freckled Scottish face squinting in the California sunshine. The bat held high on his shoulder waiting for his moment. And I rejoice that he loves this most American game. He will know from an early age that failure is not disgrace. It's just a pitch that you missed. And you better get ready for the next one because the next one might be the shot heard around the world. And he closes with this sentence. Listen closely. My son and I are Americans. We prepare for glory by failing until we don't. We prepare for glory by failing until we don't. Counter that with this statement. Failure is not an option. Say that with me. Failure is not an option. All right? I'm going to give you something tangible, something something that you can grab hold of and carry out of here. Say this with me. Failure is not an option. Failure is not an option. It is standard equipment. It is standard equipment. Failure is not an option. It is standard equipment. And without God, it's the best. Get this. It is the best I'll ever succeed at. Failure is not an option. It's standard equipment. And without God, it's the best that I will ever succeed at. So here we are again, that picture, almost. The thing is, is that we have a choice. And the choice is between, do I live in almost? Do I live in that gap? Or is there a way to live in all, to have all? Because it's all and it's almost. Look at that picture and let's, let's change our perspective just very quickly. Let's change our perspective. We, we looked at that and we saw God reaching down to Adam. What if, think about this, what if that picture did not depict God trying to reach to Adam 
and almost touching, but rather, what if somehow miraculously Michelangelo was able through a vision or, or, or God showing it to him on a piece of paper, what if Michelangelo captured that moment immediately following God and Adam's hands touching? Well, then that picture is completely different. Now you look at Adam's hand and it's almost as if it's not reluctant, it's relaxed. Now you look at Adam's arm and you say, well, it's resting on his knee. Why? Because he knows the work's been done. All has evaporated almost. And who in the world would be capable of doing that? Jesus said, all things, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, how much authority? All. All authority has been given to me. Where? In heaven and on earth. He goes on in Colossians, Paul wrote, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him, what? All things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him He is before what? All things. And in him what? Do you get a theme developing here? Ours is not an almost God. Let me say that again. Ours is not an almost God. Jesus is not an almost God. He is all God. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He gave all his life for all our sins. Jesus didn't give most of his life for you. He gave all of his life for you. And for me, he didn't almost conquer sin and death. He completely conquered sin and death. So what? So what's that mean? It means simply this. Each of us are going to walk out this building sometime this morning. The question is, will you walk out of here living all of life, all in Christ, or will you walk out of here living life almost? Let's pray. Father, 
you never ever revealed that you were anything but an all God that, that came seeking and searching for us to give us life and life abundantly, not to give us life and life almost. Father, help us to make the decision. Help us to to get a grasp of what it will look like leaving this place today and what it will look like tomorrow morning if we simply repentantly and humbly surrender to you. Father, we all know what almost can do to us, what almost, it can be frustrating, taxing, straining, stressful. It's all of you, Father, that we need. And so I pray, Father, that as we leave here today, that we leave here having given you the opportunity in our own lives to touch our lives so that almost can be overcome by all, Mm -hmm. by all your love, all your hope. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, for saving all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. We offer them to you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.